Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 65. I am here with my brother, the amazing Charlie Tidd, and we are going to be talking about managing your inventory. This is the first in a three-part series that we are going to do, and I can't wait to talk with y'all. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steel. Hello, everybody. Dr. P in the house. Welcome to the Proofing Box. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode 65. I am so excited to be here because you will notice I am not doing the podcast by myself because that guy is here with me. We also call that guy my brother. <laughs> so this is Charlie Tid, and uh, you have heard him on the podcast before. We have done... Um, uh, what did we do? We did 5S together yes. back over Memorial Day weekend, which I republished a couple weeks ago. Uh, and because it was such a good episode, there will be a lot. You will be hearing a lot this year about 5S in your systems, about leader standard work and lean processing. And uh, we are going to be having lots of conversations about this. This is actually going to be the first in, um, I think, I think three, it might stretch out to more than that conversations with Charlie about inventory. So I'm going to let Charlie introduce himself and why he is an expert on this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we will, uh, then we were, we will uh, launch into the podcast. So for those of you who are joining us on the proofing box, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, we're going to hold office hours at the end of this. I will be talking about trichinolosis in feral hogs. I got some questions over the salt cured pig. And so I'm going to be addressing that. If you have other questions, please write them in the comments box and I will address them. Um, and then if you have other questions, so there'll be a pause at the end of this. I use this so that Andrew can um, cut the podcast for publishing over on Anchor and then we'll go, then we'll go into office hours. So anyway, all right, take it away, Charlie. Let us know who you are. So my name is Charlie Tidd. Um, I've been working in uh, manufacturing in supply chain for a bit over 20 years now. Most of that time with General Electric. Um, I am currently a senior, <coughs> excuse me, production planner. Um, and um, I've been working in the uh, high-end high, uh, technology manufacturing space. So <clears throat> dealing with um, uh, inventory, with how inventory moves through production, with forecasting, um, managing production. Um, I've bought a lot of material. Um, I've worked in uh, make-to-order, make-to-stock, and engineer-to-order uh, production environments. So Different, different degrees of repeatability and uh, variation. So, um, a, uh, uh, let's see, I got my MBA at uh, Rice University in 2009, and uh, that's what I do. I'm <laughs> I, I also um, have done training in um, uh, Greenbelt Lean Six Sigma. Um, so I'm, I did a lot of training in Lean at GE. So. Very, very familiar with 5S and uh, especially transactionally moving information quickly and efficiently through an organization. 
Right. So I don't know what y'all talk about over the holidays or <laughs> your dinner tables, but we talk about transactional lean. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things that I want to uh, point out to everybody is that on the proofing box, I loaded a new file into the file section, and it's a way to take notes on podcasts and live coaching calls. So we're going to have lots of live coaching calls this year and at least one, uh, at least one a month in the proofing box. And then, of course, we do the podcast every week. People have been asking me for um, how do I like gather all of this information? Well, now I've given you a Word document within which to do that. So feel free to download that. And of course, like us and recommend us to your podcast listening uh, methodology of choice. And I want to thank everybody for their time. I want to thank you, Charlie, for your time mm -hmm. to share your knowledge with everybody. The idea for this podcast series came actually as we were uh, leaving a restaurant and Charlie and I were talking about inventory and inventory management and that sort of thing. And just in time. And I have lots of conversations about just in time with my clients. And just in time inventory management was pioneered by Toyota. You can read about it in the Toyota way. And Charlie pointed out a very astute comment, which was, you know, just in time really works great in the automobile industry when you have like five buyers and a thousand suppliers. Um, and that's not how local food works. <laughs> and so we started talking about this because we really need, we are working this year to come up with solutions for small food manufacturing businesses around inventory, inventory management, and what it really means uh, for small food manufacturers because we can't just adopt to what the car industry is doing because we have crops for heaven's sakes we have it takes 24 months to grow up grass-fed cattle so it's not it's not really the same conversation there are some things that are the same but there are some things that are profoundly different and so with that I want to thank everybody for their time and then I want to talk about a little bit about what we are going to be covering in um in the podcast, and we always put this in the in the construct of the proofing box. And the proofing box is, of course, uh, how we map out your the results you're creating, how you manage your mind to get there. Okay, and then your um, your actual process. Everybody asks me the process first. It is never the process. It is always managing your mind. Okay, and so. When we think about the results of your inventory system, Charlie, mm -hmm. what are the results that people are looking for? Like, what can we look for that we can really peg, yes, I am doing this process really well? Mm. Um, so it, it, inventory is actually something you can feel. Um, if, if, if your business is predictable, that, that's, that's the primary thing. If your inventory is working well, you will have confidence that what you think you have on the shelf is actually what you have, um, that you have control over the inputs and outputs, and that um, you'll have confidence that you're going to be able to deliver what your customers need at the quality they demand for the price they're willing to pay at the time they need it. And none of that is easy, but um, but inventory uh, is is an enabler of of uh, the success of your business and um, being able to sleep at night knowing that you're going to have a business tomorrow because your processes are predictable and you can detect problems and 
early and solve them uh, before they impact your customers. Right. And I think that when we, when, when one of the things that we get to talk about when we talk about inventory is most of y'all are actually in the middle of the food production system. There are people that you buy from and there are people that you sell to. And one of the, one of the results that you can create with your inventory and as a process and understanding it as a process is suppliers who are willing to do business with you. I mean, that's so incredibly important yeah. in the work that we do. Ugh. Yeah, so um, the, the businesses that most of you are in are your quality differentiators. So you're, you're selling um, a high quality, innovative product. And uh, the best strategy that works there is, is focusing on your customers, focusing on delivering your product to your customers. I've seen too many businesses who should have that strategy, um, who tend to have higher margins, treat their suppliers as a piggy bank, trying to go after cost right. solely. And it's understandable why they do it. It's easy to measure the cost of components. You have a purchase order, you have a you know, price per item, and um, it's easy for your buyer or your sourcing person to say, I saved us 3% annually um, on, the, on this input. The problem with that is that your suppliers have businesses too, you know, and they need to make profit. They have um, shareholders and stakeholders, and there's a fixed amount of wealth in that transaction as, as you're buying your inputs. <clears throat> and um, as I was taught in school, and I, I really do believe this because I've seen it, I've seen it happen uh, in business, is uh, it's like a balloon. If you squeeze one end of the balloon, the other end is going to blow up. There, because it's a fixed uh, amount of value, if you, if you only go after your suppliers on cost, they're going to um, just naturally take um, the, the difference out of either quality or delivery. And you'll either get a lower quality product in the door or it'll come in late and you won't be able to predict it. Right. So um, what I was taught in, um, in, uh, in strategy uh, in this kind of business is your, your suppliers, you, you want to be partners with your suppliers. The entire value chain um, succeeds or fails together. Um, also, your suppliers will know their products much better than you, and um, if you have a good relationship with your suppliers, you can work with them on making your supply chain more efficient, which does help cost, or innovate new products, um, or um, uh, work with them on making the supply chain more reliable. But if, if your only conversations with your supplier are, how much less am I going to pay this year? They're, they're not going to be interested in innovating for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so let's, so, so that's the context within which that we are talking about this folks. We are in food because we are creating wealth and community. We are transforming a quarter of the world's economy, which is the food systems. Okay. And we do it by being in conversation with each other, by creating that community. And part of your community is your supply chain. And your supply chain is 
I mean, it's they're responsible for your inputs to inventory. So what I want to talk about just quickly, Charlie, is that if you could define inventory from a financial aspect, okay, we all know how to define inventory. We open up our walk-in, we see all of that shit standing there, and then we close our walk-in and we walk away. So that's one way to define your inventory. <laughs> There's a financial definition yeah. of your inventory, though. So in a publicly traded company, um, according to, in the U.S., according to GAP, Generally Accepted Accounting uh, Principles, principles <laughs> <laughs> um, inventory is defined as any um, any real good that you own that will that you will um, use to make into something else or to sell within one year and that's the key point so if if you have three years worth of I don't know what on the shelf only one third of that inventory can um, in a publicly traded company can legally be classed as inventory. And um, at the end of the year, when you're um, doing your books, um, you would have to take a reserve against the other two years worth of inventory. And that comes straight off uh, the asset side of the ledger. And then you have a corresponding um, transaction on the equity side of the ledger and it comes straight out of your profits. Um, the other thing to remember about inventory is inventory is money. Okay. It's money you've paid to your suppliers to put product on your shelves. And in most cases, it's money that you have to uh, finance. So you're going out and getting loans to finance that inventory on your shelf. So if you're not turning over your inventory, you're just wasting money. And there are products that we make that by necessity have to go into inventory. So, you know, the example that I always use is a prosciutto that cures for two years. But what's really important to understand is, is when it's sitting there curing for two years, developing into that quality that you want that is costing you money, cold, dry air, which is the air that that prosciutto was probably curing in, is the most expensive air that you're going to buy. So not only do you have money tied up in buying that leg of that pig, transforming it. You had to pay people to do that. You had products that went into that, all your salts, all that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pork salt and thyme, as we say. And, and then you've got to maintain the environment for that inventory. All of that comes at a cost. So are any of you public traded companies? No. However, the point is, is that your inventory, in order for it to, to make you money, has to actually leave your facility. <laughs> oh, and you have to be paid for it. And you have to be, right, you have to be paid for it. And so this gets into a discussion of how do we approach inventory? And every result that we talk about here at Durago Food Safety, we talk about within the context of building assets. Because we grow and scale businesses by building assets, looking at prior results, and applying time, <laughs> okay? And so when we look at your inventory as a process, 
it actually allows you to build at a minimum four different kinds of assets in your business. So the six assets that we always talk about in the business, the first asset is mindset of management. The second asset is the mindset of employees. The third asset is the trust and credibility that you build with your community. The fourth asset is actually your products. And the fifth asset is your processes. And then the sixth and final asset, which is the asset everybody talks about first, is the money you have in the bank, <laughs> okay? And the, 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 the equipment and the facilities that that money can be traded for. So Charlie, would you talk a little bit about how inventory as a process helps you build assets in your business? Sure. So. Um if we if we take the first one, the mindset of management, um, if if you understand that inventory is an investment in your business, um, inventory um, is also a drain on your cash. If you have too much, um, you need some inventory. Um, <clears throat> but um, if you're um, if you're handling inventory well. Um, it, it, it goes back to being able to sleep at night knowing that you're going to have a business tomorrow, that your suppliers are going to uh, be eager to receive your next purchase order um, because you're predictable on both ends of your supply chain, predictable to your customers, predictable to your suppliers. Right. And so that's, so, so then we build we build all sorts of assets in our businesses when we manage our, when we manage inventory. Right. Um, if we look at the second one, which is the mindset of employees, I think this may be one of the bigger impacts. If your inventory is managed well, it's easier for your people to do their work. If they know where the inventory is, if they can count on it being there when they need it, if they're not wandering all over the facility to find um, the last ingredient. Um, if it, um, it uh, if they know it's not going to be spoiled when they reach into the bin for it, um, all of that uh, makes it easier for uh, your people to work. It frees up bandwidth for them to think about ways to work better. Um, it makes it a more fun place to work if it's more predictable. So, you know, a, a clean. Um, a clean place where I've got a uh, clear direction on what I need to do today and the tools and uh, training and tools to do it. And, you know, it becomes much easier to execute on those things. Um, and then um, it, if you understand the levers you can push on your inventory to increase or decrease as needed, um, it, it helps because it, it makes it easier for you to adapt to change. And all that makes work much more fun. Right. And I think if you think about it, for all y'all that came up through the restaurant world, this is the mise en place system where you, where you know what you have, you get everything squared away. It, your kitchens are much more pleasant when you get your mise en place put together at the beginning of your workday. That's why they teach it. <laughs> you know, and then I think there's, there are, the, the often overlooked but completely vital asset of building your process. Inventory is a process. Inventory isn't an end stage. It's a yeah. process. And if you allow yourself to build that process as an asset, it will radically change 
how you look at your inventory. You know? and, and by instilling the discipline of, of thinking through the process, both for uh, you as leaders and for your people, you know, train them in the inventory process, train them in uh, the inputs and outputs and how we do it. And they will help you find, um, um, you know, everything that's broken, all the exceptions. There's always exceptions that you have to think through. Um, and and that that kind of, of thinking will help everywhere. I mean, it'll help um, in your cleaning protocols, in, in organizing the tools. Um, um, that that kind of thinking just helps. It's it's a it's a culture and a mindset of continuous improvement. Always identify the problems, think about how you can do it better, test um, test your solution, um, monitor for did did I improve, and then lather, rinse, repeat. Right, and then what you're describing is a process of thinking first. Okay. When we address the first five assets, we think first, and then we can address that sixth asset, and you will always address the sixth asset better when you think first. <laughs> because how many of you are like, oh my God, I need more cold storage, and, the, and your, your first instinct is to buy more storage, when what if you managed your mind to reduce your inventory? Right. <laughs> Almost always. Um... Uh, invent too much inventory and you and you can see it physically is an indicator that the process is not working well because you're you're hedging against um unknown variation in your process just because you haven't analyzed your process to figure out um where things fall out of inventory or you know where things are uh going to be late um and it, it and it's a natural hedge uh, compensation for that to to think if i just had more inventory on the shelf i i wouldn't have these problems the problem with that of course is it ties up money in food food goes bad so um th there's very much an element of time um tied to inventory uh where more inventory doesn't help and then if you're not fixing the root cause of your process you may just be amplifying the impact of the process. Because if you're still out of a key ingredient, everything else that you bought is now useless to you because you're not gonna be able to transform it into the product your customer needs. And so when we talk about, you know, we always talk about here about products and results and, and, and how we manage our mind to get there. And, and that, is, that is the proofing box system that we teach. And so I think that when we look at the, the product that is the result of an inventory process, it's predictability of the flow of inputs and outputs. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when you have predictability of flow, that's when you start sleeping at night. That's when you understand where everything is and you can start addressing issues within that flow. And when we, when we, 
when we look at that, there's always a process that we do it. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is, is recognize that inventory is a process, not an end state. Okay. I know there are lots of you that say, okay, it's Wednesday. It's time to do inventory. And I totally get it. But that is one part of a larger process. It isn't, it is, it is the exact same thing that your pre-operational sanitation checklist, you know, you walk into your processing room and you do your checklist. That, my friends, is not your sanitation program, not by any stretch of the imagination. Your inventory counting is not your inventory program either. <laughs> it is one part of a larger program that helps you manage a, an asset and produce a product in your business. And that product is predictable numbers of stuff in, in, in storage. <laughs> And when you have that predictability of numbers, it allows you to manage your cash better. It allows you to manage your whole entire process better and really produce the quality and the quantity <laughs> of the product that you are looking at. But what happens, I think, is that that becomes super, super difficult when faced with the reality. You are boots on the ground in your facility. And what most of you guys have is your inventory in your head, okay? Some of you have your inventory on paper. Maybe a subset of that have inventory on a spreadsheet. You know, there's lots of people who think Excel is, is going to solve all the problems. It solves many of them, <laughs> I promise, and it is, real, it is really good, okay? But then a lot of you come to me and say, Dr. P, what software should I buy? How do I get a handle on this? And my, my answer to you is always the same. My answer is figure out your process first and then apply technology or you will have two problems. <laughs> so, uh, if, if, because you won't know which, uh, which system to get. And then if you don't have a handle on your process, we've all heard garbage in, garbage out. And if, you, if you're not putting the inputs into the tool that you buy, the, the output won't be there for you. Right. And that's, and, and so that's always the, that's my answer is always figure out your process first, and then let's talk about a technology solution. And so what I want to do is, is I want to do a, I want to do a strive model on inventory. All right. And I want you to picture yourself, like close your eyes, not if you're driving, um, <laughs> and think about the last time you opened up your walk-in or you opened up your cooler and you're standing there and you've got boxes on boxes. Nothing is six inches above the floor. Nothing is six inches away okay and you probably may or may not have some condensation if you're thinking about your freezer you probably have icicles <laughs> might be snowing in there I've been in freezers that are snowing that's always fun um, and I want you to think about the, the what feeling that that creates okay feelings are always created by thoughts and I want to do a strive model around uh, what you are thinking when you open up that door Okay, and so the first question in Strive is, are you safe? Um, all right, now Charlie, tell us a story, okay, about what we mean by safe. Are you physically safe to do inventory? Sure, so about a year ago, I was um, out on the production floor talking to team leads and they were um, discussing the production schedule. And uh, we've got uh, like a big open building so we can, uh, from the production floor, I could see into the warehouse. I'm talking with one of the team leads, and I see something fall from the ceiling out of the corner of my eye. 
And I look over and sure enough, there's a forklift over there uh, raised all the way up. There's uh, a pallet on, um, on the forks of the forklift. And what had happened is they had just taken a pallet off the top rack of the, of the shelves about 30 feet up in the air. And um, the, uh, the material on the pallet had not been strapped down. And so when they shifted the pallet, some of it fell off the, um, uh, fell off the forklift. Now, fortunately, and, um, it, the, the material was light. It was padding. Um, it, it, if it had hit somebody, they almost certainly would not have been hurt. But that was a near miss. That indicated there was something wrong with how we were storing our inventory. Uh, because we, uh, in the business I work in, we have plenty of very heavy metallic material that could have really hurt or killed somebody if it had hit them on the head. Um, we don't wear hard hats in our, in our warehouse. Um, and so um, what we did is we immediately stood down work in the warehouse. Um, we discussed what had happened and the root cause was we did not have a, a standard work for the warehouse that said, if you're going to put a pallet on a higher shelf, everything on the pallet has to be strapped down. And so for the next three weeks, um, what the warehouse team had to do was spend a part of their day taking everything off the top racks, making sure it was strapped down. And if it wasn't, strapping it down and putting it back up. And it was, um, I mean, it was absolutely necessary because, um, you know, it, it, there was a real risk of, of somebody getting significantly hurt. And people get killed in warehouses. Um, there's a YouTube video that you can, um, that you can search for of a Coca-Cola warehouse where they had actually stacked something like 20 to 30 pallets of Coca-Cola. Forklift lost control of uh, lost control, ran into the stack of pallets. The, pa the stack collapsed onto another worker. He was killed. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. And, and you, as, as, as a leader in a business, you never want to be in that position where you have, where what you've done has contributed directly or indirectly to somebody getting really hurt or killed. And um, so it really matters. Safety matters, folks. Yes. And that's why, that's why it is the first, that's why it's the first uh, question that we ask in the strive, in the strive model. And so I want you, while you're sitting there thinking about the, about looking in your walk-in or your freezer or whatever, do you feel physically safe or do you think a 40 pound box of meat is about to fall on your head? Uh, okay, nobody even wants that to fall on their foot. That's why I wear steel-toed shoes in many of your places. <laughs> so, so that's the, so do you feel physically safe? If you do not feel physically safe, there are no other problems that you are gonna solve. You must feel physically safe at work, okay? So the second question within S is, do you feel financially safe? Now, a lot of us build up inventory because it makes us feel financially safe. I want you to question that thought. Get really curious as to why tying up your cash in inventory makes you feel safe, okay? Is it because I would posit, I would, I would guess that you would feel safer if that cash was sitting in your bank account, <laughs> okay? And that, 
and that the physical security, like that feeling of security that you get when you look at like racks of inventory, yeah, is actually not doing you any good. Like that thought that, wow, we have so much inventory, that thought isn't really doing you any good. Mm -hmm. Right. In, in, in order for inventory to have value, you have to have uh, the right amount of inventory, which means it needs to turn. And I don't know what the, 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 the industry best is in food manufacturing, in the type of manufacturing I do. Um, we like to see it turn somewhere between eight and 12 times a year. And that means that you're actually completely refreshing your inventory every um, month to two months. Right. Um, and that's, and you notice that's something he knows how to measure. And I don't think that's something a lot of y'all know how to measure. And so yeah. then the third question in under safe is, are you emotionally safe? And this actually is also tied to that financially safe. Are you emotionally safe to turn over your inventory like that? Or do you love your inventory? Do you love, do you love walking in and seeing those prosciuttos or do you love seeing those prosciuttos sold? <laughs> do you love seeing your labels and things like that? Uh, on your 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 product in your cooler or do you love getting that sold and is it the sales conversation that's inhibiting you from doing that like do you feel emotionally safe in a sales conversation and if you don't is that why you're stacking up inventory okay because it isn't i've told you so many times it, your food is not the solution to somebody's problem it's it, your food is only the solution to somebody's problem when it's in their hands and solving their problem. And so are you, do you have thoughts about being safe around your, around your food and having lots of it around you that are inhibiting you from actually going out and selling your food? So that's the S in Stripe. So then the T in Stripe is trained. Are you trained to manage your inventory? Okay. This is a learned and learnable skill. I promise this guy sitting next to me didn't was not born knowing how to manage inventory. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? And no, it's so uh, the, and the training is um, uh, training buyers or training yourself on uh, what how much and what kinds of inventory you want to keep, how frequently you want to order it. Um, you know, there there's all these method methods, there's calculations for economic reorder quantity. Uh, minimum order quantities um, um, and then but there's also training on how you handle your inventory how you handle your inventory safely strapping everything down if you're putting it above your head um, there's training on how you move your inventory through the shop so that um, it moves in a predictable manner and the people who are moving it from point A to point B know why they're moving it. They know when to move it. They know where to put it when it gets there. Um, and then when it gets there, the person who next is going to work on it is expecting it. Um, and they're ready to work with it. And the system, the system that you tr that you train on, you're going to have to keep training on it. It's not. I mean, you know, no, yeah, yeah. This is not. This is not a one and done thing because because your business will change, your physical, your your facilities change all the time, and your systems will have to change. So so training also a process, yes. <laughs> not an end stage. And, and hopefully, you're you're also continuously improving how you do that. And part of continuous improvement is is updating your training documents and retraining your people on them to make sure that right. your improvements are sticky.
Right, exactly. Okay, so the R in strive is respect. So now there are, of course, two kinds of respect in a work environment. There's the respect that you get by virtue of where you are in the hierarchy of the facility and respect that you get by virtue of how you show up to work and like who you are at work and how you act at, how you act at work. I want to bring in another kind of respect, though. The respect around, especially for those of you who are in animal production, are you respecting the animal? if that animal gave up its life for your product and it's sitting on a shelf. Hmm? You know what I mean? Like, I'm a veterinarian, okay? I believe very, very deeply in doing all of this stuff correctly because animals give up their lives in order for us to make a living, to build that wealth and community. So if is, I want you to think, what are you thinking about how people are respected and how animals are respected, how the efforts of animals, the efforts of people are respected, and how is that reflected in your inventory? My guess is nobody's ever asked you that before. <laughs> but we ask the hard questions around here, and are you truly respecting the life of that animal? Are you truly respecting the effort your employee has put into your product if your product is sitting in inventory? Um, the so the, um, the, in respecting your employees, the, the, one of the core principles of Lean is you have to listen to the people who are actually doing the work, okay? If, if you're not actually out there doing the work every day, and I mean physically moving the material, um, making the product, you are at least one step removed from reality and it's the people who are actually doing the work that if if you listen to them, they will tell you what's wrong. Often they'll um, they'll just know because it creates headaches in their in their day, right? And frustration. Um, those are usually very good indicators of things that you can go to fix first. They will tell you the exceptions. There's always exceptions. You tell them we want to do it this way. It'll work for 95% of what you do, but you're going to have something that's an exception, and you have to manage that. Um, so it's it's critical to respect the people who you hire. Um, you should only be hiring people that you respect, and if you're doing that then they're going to learn your process. They're going to know it. They're going to know how to improve it. They're going to know what's wrong with it. And if you listen to them and encourage them to give their input um, and reward them for helping you solve these problems, it's going to make this, this whole journey possible. If it, I mean, you cannot, this is not something that can be done solely top down. You have to provide the direction. You have to provide provide the culture, but the details you're not going to have unless you are actually the person working on the line every day. Right. And that gets us into the eye of strive, which is invested. Have you invested the time, talent, and treasure to make this work? And only you know whether you've invested the time, talent, and treasure. And you've got to invest that time, talent, and treasure in the people who have the biggest effect on your food safety, right. which is the people who are in your warehouse, you know, if they are stacking allergens on top of non-allergens, they're the only ones that can do something about that. Right. And you've got to invest in understanding how to get them to do that right. Okay. And so that reflects back on all the other parts of all the other parts of Strive. And then the V in Strive stands for value. Do you value doing this? 
Okay. Do you see the value in managing your inventory as a process? Or are you hugging the idea that inventory is a pain in the ass? You don't want to think about it. This is a terrible thing to do. And you will do just about anything to get out of doing inventory. Be super honest with yourself. <laughs> because if those are your thoughts, don't approach inventory. Find somebody else to do your inventory or decide that having money tied up in inventory isn't a problem. Okay. This is only, you know, this is only if you want to, you know, approaching inventory as a process is only important if you decide that you want it to be important. And if you don't want it to be important, there's zero things Charlie and I could tell you in order to make it so. You have to decide. You have to approach this as a choice to make this important. And then finally in STRIVE, the E stands for empowered. And you have to be empowered to stand in fear and discomfort and failure to get your process going and to improve your process. And that means an ongoing fear, discomfort, and failure. I mean, have you been in fear, discomfort, and failure putting in inventory systems? Sure, absolutely. It's, um, um, you know, when you when you first look at an overwhelming, over, yeah, overwhelming, <laughs> there's a Freudian slip, um, a, a, a warehouse where the shelves are, you know, completely disorganized, nothing's labeled, um, things are falling out of boxes, um, um, you know, there's there can be mold growing, and I'm talking in, in uh, you know standard manufacturing. It can happen. You know, if you know if you if you don't have the right uh, storage uh, material and it gets wet, you can have mold. Um, uh, it that's overwhelming to to look at that and to think, where do I even start? Um, and then um, when you're when you're working on improving things, you're you're doing new things. So you, um, that's risky and you've got to be willing to take that risk and, um, and try to fail fast. You know, any, anything that you do, you should, you should, any improvement that you make, you should be able to measure first your current state and then your future state. And, and, um, decide what are the things that are easily measured that can tell me if I'm making a difference or not. Right. Right. And then if you are not making a difference or if the numbers are actually going the wrong way, okay, stop. And the core principle again of continuous improvement, we try and if it's not working, we stop doing that and we sit down and think hard about why that didn't work and hopefully we've learned something then and then we try something else. And that gets to the principle that I always talk to you guys about, which is don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> okay, which when we did our visualization at the, at, and, and as, we, as we started down this journey, it's visualizing you standing in your warehouse, looking at it, know where you are and, 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 and stand there, to paraphrase Daniel Berrigan, who I paraphrase all the time, uh, because that overwhelm, you have to recognize that overwhelm and not run away from it. Okay, 
that's how you fail forward is you recognize you're overwhelmed when you're looking at your walk-in or you're looking at your freezer and things aren't labeled and things are out of boxes and you're not hundred percent sure where all those allergens are and whether you can track them all down and all of the work that you have to do it do to, to get that under control and understand what your actual, what your inputs actually are and how to measure them. And what we always talk about is knowing where you stand and standing there with integrity, acceptance, and compassion. These are all learned and learnable skills. You are where you are, and you are in the exact right place. Okay? This is the exact right. If you come at this from the idea that you are the exact right person, and you are, this is the exact right place for you to be with your inventory, then you can do anything because you have all the power over the situation. Okay? And so when... We are looking when you're standing there, okay, and we are, we're going to assume that you've gotten yourself to integrity, acceptance, and compassion about your inventory situation, and you're ready, willing, and able to get this inventory system together, and you're going to get it out of your head, okay, and at, at minimum, like, onto pieces of paper. What are the steps we're going to do? What are the questions we're going to ask? Um, so we're, we're going to think about the flow of inventory. So your, your inventory, we're talking about a freezer, you've got a certain amount on the shelf, um, and um, the, the inventory moves in there and it moves out of there. So stand in front of your freezer, okay? Uh, th this is a technique that Toyota has used for many years with um, when they do uh, lean Six Sigma training. They'll actually have somebody tape out a you know three square feet on the production floor and they'll send the trainee out there and they say stand in that box and they give them a clipboard and they say stand there for two hours and just watch what happens see i didn't make this up folks no <laughs> and it's a little weird but just standing there and observing what happens you're going to see a lot and you're going to you're going to very quickly see some things that need to be fixed but um what we'd like you to do is stand there and look at the inputs, look at um, who's moving material into your freezer. So pick one box, all right? Look in, like, and if you don't want to stand in your freezer for an hour, we totally get that. <laughs> so stand in your walk-in, look, I mean, for God's sake, look at your toilet paper. I don't care, the process is the same. Um, but stand there and think, all right? Pick one thing to think about, stand in front of it. Mm -hmm. and, and look at who's moving inventory in. Okay, how do they know to move it there? How do they know where to put it when it arrives there? If, if you have shelves, do they pick the first open space they see? Um, or do they know not to put allergens on top of non-allergens? Is there um, a designated spot for that material to be in? Think about or observe where it came from. You know, who brought it over from the receiving dock? How do they know to do that? Um, how did they know when to do that? Okay. Who left it at the receiving dock? Okay. How does it get logged in? Um, um, who's doing that? How does that information flow through your system if you have it? And then keep walking it back up the supply chain. So backwards up the supply chain towards your supplier. You know, how did your supplier know what to deliver and when? Did it arrive on time? Okay, how did you communicate that to your supplier? 
And that's not just the purchase order. That's also you or your buyer getting on the phone saying, oh my God, I told you I needed it three weeks from now, but everything was bad in the freezer. I need it now or we're going to be shut down today. You know, and then is your supplier scrambling to deliver something that they didn't expect to have to do for another three weeks? So think about those things and then write it down. Document the process. Do the process flow map of everything from your storage back up to your supplier and look at both the physical um, movements that are made with the goods and the transactional movements if you're doing those. Um, if you're um, writing your inventory on paper, keeping note cards of everything, or um, if you're using a system, how does, it, um, how does it impact your inventory? How does it impact your purchase order? All those things. Right. And so the process flow mapping is, of course, the fourth step in any food safety planning. And for those of you who are in fisheries, or who have supply chain preventive controls, you actually legally have to do that, <laughs> right? And you may have critical control points that are associated with them. In fisheries, your refrigeration, look on page 225 of the fisheries hazard guide, I promise you it's a critical control point. And if you have supply chain preventive controls, there is so much that you have to monitor your, your ability to process flow map your supply chain is part is a legal requirement of your food safety planning. So that's that's what you guys that's what we want you guys to do this week as we um, as we move into the new year is go stand somewhere and backtrack how that one box on that one shelf got there. All the movement of that box and then all the paperwork that's associated with that box and work. And, and also think about when the box didn't move. So yeah. was it sitting on your receiving dock for six hours before somebody realized it needed to get moved into your cold storage? Um, you know, because a lot of inventory is in the waiting points <laughs> and uh, a lot of process mapping is in the waiting points. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's that negative space that is just as or even more important as the positive of, of the actual movements. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. We probably don't spend enough time looking at, looking at the negative space of our manufacturing process. <laughs> That sounds like a whole other podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for everybody who joined us live over on The Proofing Box. Of course, if you are not on The Proofing Box yet, why not come join us? Just do a search on Facebook for The Proofing Box. It's pretty easy to get in. There's like one question you have to answer. Um, thank you for the time. I know this was a longer podcast than we normally than we normally put out, but it's a new year. It's a new decade. It's new ways of doing things. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. If you have questions about your process flow mapping. I'm happy, like, dude, just send me a DM. Let's get on the phone. I'm totally happy to talk to people. And so that's what we got for the podcast today. And I love you all. Have a week full of awesome. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.